4: news, the newest products, the biggest names. Welcome to Your Tech Report. Online at yourtechreport.com. Join Mitchell Whitfield and Mark Flalo for the next hour of Your Tech Report. An action-packed show
3: waiting for you right here on Your Tech Report. Welcome to it. I am Mark Aflalo. As always, joined by my
2: co-host in Los
3: Angeles, Mitchell Whitfield.
2: I am Mitchell Whitfield, Mark, and like you, I'm very excited. We're we're doing a little bit of a different show today. We are going to have a bunch of interviews. We've gotten requests. We've gotten great emails from people saying they enjoyed the interview segment. So today give the people what they want. Give Lots them what they
3: dangerous. want. We are going to talk about a very cool drone that I think, and, and you agree, is the biggest bang for your buck these days. Absolutely. We are going to talk about a very, very cool video game called Dig Rush, developed by a Montreal company, Ubisoft, who we know have made have been behind a lot of games before. But there's a medical Here's aspect to this that I guarantee is going to pique your attention. If you know anybody with lazy eye, you're going to want to listen to this one. And we're going to talk more about gaming with someone at Microsoft as well, towards the end of this segment. But Mitchell, I want to talk about Something that happened, obviously, towards the latter half of this week, which is an announcement from Elon, or I don't know how to pronounce his name, Elon Musk from Tesla.
2: Elon Musk, that's that's correct. There you go.
3: He has introduced us to what is called the Powerwall. This is Tesla's take on the home battery. This is something that's been teased for quite some time. He's been mentioning this on earnings calls. It's been teased for the past couple months as an announcement that was happening earlier later this past this, this past week. Basically what Powerwall is, it's a home battery system that comes in two models. There's a 10 kilowatt model that's going to be available for $3500 and there's a 7 kilowatt model available for $3000. It's about Three feet by four feet in size, sticks out of yeah, a six small. It's sticks not small. Yeah,
2: it's a big thing. It yeah.
3: can be on the inside of your home. It can be on the outside of your home. It is designed to store energy. So whether you are taking things in from the sun, solar power, it can store that energy. It can store energy that comes off the power grid. The reason this came to exist, Mitchell, is because they obviously have these electric vehicles and people are coming home and spending lots of money because the sun is down. So solar energy is not being generated at night to charge their cars. So people are complaining about the cost of charging your car. And yes, it's still lower than than fueling your car with gas. And obviously the emissions and the environmental impact is, is enormous. But Powerwall came about because of this problem. And this solves the problem because while you're not at home, while the sun is out, all this energy that is right there, Waiting to be absorbed can now be absorbed and stored for later use in your home, whether it's to charge your car, whether it's to lighten the load in the power grid when it's more expensive to consume energy. When the power goes out, there are so many uses for something like this.
2: So basically, to just just put it in basic terms, it's a giant rechargeable battery that uses, like you said, solar power to recharge, but then provides power For what not just for your for your plug-in vehicle, but also for your entire home. And he was giving some pretty crazy numbers here, Mark. That with you know 160 million of these units, he can power a country, and with uh, two billion of these units, he can power the entire world. And I mean, I I know that sounds silly when you talk about powering the world, but if you look at the math, and like you said, if you look at how much energy, and we were talking about this before, because I said, oh, Mark, I think you're more in tune with this. Please explain it when we're on the air. But um, if you look at companies, if you look at Industrial companies. You were talking to me about this. There's so much wasted energy, wasted energy that could be recycled, recycling that same yeah. energy so you're not polluting and you're not wasting. It's a twofold process, yes?
3: Absolutely. I mean, businesses have been using technology like this for a long time because they're the ones who have been exposed to these higher levels of pricing. In terms of energy consumption. They're paying massive amounts of hydro bills and renewable energy bills, so they've been using battery-style technology like this to to store, store things, but it's never been available and this accessible on a consumer level, and this is what he's doing, and this is what he's provided with.
2: And it's nice because and I I suggest, uh, of course, there's a great article on The Verge at TheVerge.com. If you want to go check this out, it is there. It'll do a great job of explaining exactly how this works. But you mentioned, of course, connecting this back to the grid, because for people who don't know how power stations or Department of Water and Power in whatever province, state, country you may live in, uh, you know, the the power comes from this gigantic grid and everyone is connected to the grid in some way. And as a a whole community, if people are observing... Absorbing, Like you said, this energy that they're not using during the day that the sun generates, or in some case, these giant windmill farms generate, this energy that's being absorbed when you're not even home is given back to the grid. And almost like a giant community, people's feeding back into this power grid so the power can then feed back to the community. It's really interesting. And it gives people hope that energy doesn't have to be wasteful. It doesn't have to be dirty. That's another thing. This does not have to be a dirty process to regenerate energy. So, it's really exciting, isn't it? He's really, he's pretty incredible, Elon Musk. What you He doing. has,
3: you know what? It's not these uh, ideas. Some deemed uh, as being off the wall, but these are these are not off the wall ideas. These are things that we can be doing right now and should be doing right now. And he has the the influence and the power to create things like this that make it possible, which is very very cool.
2: I mean, think about it. I mean, if, if twenty years ago somebody had said to you, "You're going to have a device in your hand that you could have video chats with yeah, and conversations exactly. and check you the stuff," they would laugh at you. You know. Or, yeah, so look what we're talking about now. People aren't going to be laughing in a few years when every home has one of these three by four feet six inch deep, you know, little ba- battery packs that powers their entire home. Exactly. It's beautiful.
3: Also this week, Mitchell, the biggest newsmaker of the week has been Microsoft. Microsoft yes. is holding their Build Developers Conference. They had a large keynote on Tuesday, and they're talking about a bunch of things. And I wanted to focus in on, on really kind of two elements. One is their new Edge browser. Their browser, which is codenamed Project Spartan for quite some time, has now been revealed. Right. It is called Edge, and the reason for the name is because they are blurring the edge between browsing the internet consuming media etc etc this browser is very cool in many, many ways. What I find neat um, is, A, it is built to ingest the extensions of Firefox and Chrome, so you can instantly start using things and tools that are already out there. But it also blurs the line in a very different way. It allows you to, for example, take a web page. Let's say you're on your techreport.com, and you see oh, something great you website, like. Oh, website, yes. Yeah. You can, you can take your, your pen. You can draw on your screen. You can take your mouse. You can, you can make notes on a web page. You can circle things, draw things, um, and then... Share that with friends. Think about this on a mobile computer, obviously on a tablet, on a surface. You can now share all this information with the world. So they're really blurring the line between internet and and information consumption and how we use that. And this is what their new edge browser is all about. Very simplistic in design, but very rich in features.
2: Well, see, this is the whole thing. I mean, uh, we talk about products, but it, it you know software. There are software products as well. Um, the idea is. Uh, the more sophisticated things become, the more sophisticated technology becomes, we forget this sometimes, the easier it should be for the end user. So when the innovations happen, things shouldn't get more complicated, more complex, they should get easier. The fact that finally people can take annotations using a touchscreen, it's taking all the technologies together and integrating them purposefully. So if you have annotations and a touchscreen device and a web browser, why shouldn't you be able to combine these things? It's brilliant. The thing we'll have to see is how easy will be to use and catch on to and will the consumer embrace it readily, knowing, okay, this is a different, you have to teach a new behavior. Sometimes it's the consumer not willing to learn the new behavior that delays the advances, but hopefully people will just catch on right away.
3: Now, Windows 10 is on schedule for a release in uh, July of this coming year, which is exciting, but the other area that I really wanted to focus on, Mitchell, was something that's going to pique your interest, is gaming.
2: You know, Mark, uh, with E3 coming up very soon, I'm getting very excited. This is my time of year as a gamer. But in general, as an Xbox One gamer, and I I've been an Xbox guy from the beginning, from the original to the 360 to the one, of course. I think this is probably the most exciting time now because if you're not lucky enough, I'm very fortunate. I have an Xbox in the bedroom, one in the living room, so I can leave the room and go play in a different room when people are overwhelming the living room. But if you only have that one Xbox in there, very exciting announcement from Microsoft way back talking about the integration of Xbox One and the Windows 10. I mean Mark, you are going to be able to stream your gaming to a Windows 10 device. How cool is that?
3: This this is awesome and out of all the announcements that came out of Microsoft this week, uh the the hype about Windows 10 is is growing it's it's gotten me to the point where I really am focusing on the new Surface tablet and all about all these features that, that come along with Windows 10 but as you said Mitchell this streaming capability to Xbox really 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 floats my boat and I'm really excited about it.
2: Well I'm excited too not just because of that but because uh, you know who better to bring on than not just the senior director of PC gaming in the Xbox group but a friend of the show Kevin Yunanks. Kevin welcome to the show thanks for coming on with us. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You know, we finally got to see some video of the streaming in action, streaming in Xbox One. I believe it was Sunset Overdrive. You did this great demo. Kevin, it looks seamless. It doesn't even look like you're streaming. It looks like you're actually playing on a Surface, on a PC. How do you guys do this?
1: Well, there's some pretty amazing engineering technology that the, the Xbox team has built. But, uh, yeah, the idea is absolutely that it is as if you are sitting at your console. You've got your controller plugged into your PC, and, uh, and the goal is you, you're playing it, and both the Xbox One thinks you're sitting at the Xbox One, but then you can take your games anywhere in the house. Anywhere you can put a PC in your house, you can play.
2: The, the, the thing that's amazing to me, I think when people think about streaming, they think about streaming in its infancy where you needed an incredible amount of bandwidth just to stream a little bit. Abroad. It's not that way now. And I think people worry about latency. When I was watching the demo, I, I, I saw zero latency. If you didn't know it was running on a different device, you would swear that the game, that Sunset Overdrive, was actually running on that surface. There is no latency. It looked beautiful.
1: Yeah, that's that's really the design goal is to make sure that the experience is just as close as possible as to sitting at the Xbox One. And in that case, of course, you know, we see it's designed for in-home, it's built for in-home, so the better, the faster the network, obviously, the better the performance. Um, but it'll work on a wired network and a wireless network. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it, and that's why exactly why we showed a game like Sunset Overdrive, because it's something that it really, you need good response times. We wanted to show people it isn't just one type of game that's going to work well. It really is designed for any of the games that you have on your Xbox One to be able to extend those to other rooms.
2: Uh, That's what I thought was really impressive, Kevin, because it would have been easy for you guys to take a game that was less graphics intensive, that was a slower paced game and say, hey, look how well we can stream. But you guys did not do that. I think you purposely picked a game that was very fast paced, that had great visuals, that had great action. And kudos to you guys for saying, hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. Now, you you touched on something that I also want to touch on. As of right now, it's going to be local network only, correct? We're only going to be able to do this on your local home network network, yes? Yeah, this is in-home
1: game streaming from your Xbox One
3: to your Windows 10 PC. Kevin, since the introduction of the Xbox One, we've really seen this, what was once just a console, a gaming console, really evolve into something that has really become the focal point of our living room. This is another evolution of, of the Xbox brand. How important is something like game streaming to the brand overall?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's interesting when you touch on this idea of what the Xbox one originally was positioned as what it is now where this is kind of a a new direction, but focused solely on, uh, the heart of what Xbox is about, which is games. Right. So when we look at the way we design Xbox live and the idea that it, it really gamers care about a couple of things. They care about great games and they care about the friends that they play those games with. And our strategy is about, on the console, making sure that we start there and you know, build the best experience, make it the best place for developers to make great games, and then bring those to life. And as we put Xbox in other places, like you know integrate it into Windows 10, it's exactly that same idea. That's why Windows 10 ships with the Xbox app, so then you can stay in touch with all your friends. You can have those voice and text chats. and. Even while you're playing your PC games, you can keep in touch with your Xbox friends, and I could get an invite from someone who's playing a console exclusive while I'm sitting on my PC. And now this is the next logical step where even the games, you know, I, I play you know, great PC games. I could be playing World of Warcraft and go, oh, my buddy who wants to fire up Forza Motorsport could send me an invite. I can just now launch my Windows, you know, Xbox app on Windows 10 and join him in a game of Forza Motorsport through game streaming. So it's about just keeping you constantly in touch with your friends and the games that you care about.
2: And you know what, Kevin? Not to take, you know, we're not about knocking other companies, but if you look at what it, what Sony did, if you know what they did with their, with their Vita and being able to stream to the Vita, that's great and that's a nice luxury if you have a Vita or you want to go buy another piece of hardware. The beauty of this is... Every pretty much everyone has a PC, you know. Every, a lot of people have computers already, so it's not really forcing you to go buy a peripheral, to go buy a handheld, or another product. You're actually able to enjoy your Xbox using the devices that most people already have in their possession.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly the strategy. That's the we want to give people a reason to upgrade to Windows 10 and. And if you're just a PC gamer, we're going to give you some great features like Game DVR, where you can record, you know, video clips and and share those from all of your games, even games that don't know anything about Xbox or or, uh, uh, or recording. We're going to let you, you know, use our voice and text chat features uh, and those communication tools, whether even if you're just playing on PC games. But then back to your point. Yeah, it's, it's then about uh, extending that and, uh, and, and breaking down the walls between the console and the PC and making sure that, uh, that it, we keep the focus really just on the games and the gamers themselves. Uh, because you shouldn't have to worry about that. That's, that's you know again, part of the vision for why Xbox is, is really becoming the brand for gaming at Microsoft, not just representing this Xbox One idea.
2: Kevin, we we know you're out of town now doing a lot of press. We don't want to keep you much longer. I just wanted to sort of wrap up on this one thought where it's sort of funny because we've spoken off the air before and we've talked about how interesting it is, how full circle Microsoft has come with their gaming division, where when the original Xbox came out, it was purely focused on games, almost to the point of not wanting to associate with anything else. Any other Microsoft product It was all about games. But now the games division has become so popular, both with the Xbox One and PC, we're taking things from gaming and actually integrating it into the hard into the main OS, into Windows 10. How far have things come that now gaming is driving what happens on the on the on the desktop side? I think it's a very interesting transition.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really just a recognition of the role that the PC has continued to play, and and Xbox as both a brand and those fans, the people who have come with us over the last decade and liked what we do and believed in what Xbox has stood for, which is that high-quality gaming and that connected gaming experience. And it's just a logical evolution for us to try to look and say, how do we bring that passion, that excitement, that lineup, those experiences in a way that's relevant to the people who play on PC and have been playing on PC and the great games and tools and open you know, nature of the PC and the fast, you know, the the innovation and the pace that happens. Like we we are in both of those worlds very heavily. Our history and our heritage is on the PC, so it's great now that the technology focuses. How do we unify those in a way that still remains truth? You know, um, uh, uh, faithful, if you will, to to what makes each of those platforms great.
2: Well, Kevin, we appreciate you taking the time. As I said before, I know you're incredibly busy. I have a feeling that Microsoft still has some really cool stuff that we're going to see at E3. And hopefully after E3, you'll come back on the show and we could talk about all the great things that you can't talk about now, but we'll be able to talk about them. <laughs> so we look forward to having you back. Please come back and talk with us again afterwards.
3: Uh, I'd love to do it, and then uh, we'll see you at E3. When we come back in your tech report, a very, very cool interview. It's a little bit of a twist on gaming with some medical news involved. You'll you'll hear all about it in just a couple moments.
4: There's more Your Tech Report after this. Welcome back to Your Tech Report. Welcome back. Mark Flavlo Mitchell Whitfield with you. Your Tech
3: Report, of course, on Twitter. It is at Your Tech Report, Facebook.com slash Your Tech Report, and, of course, the pages of YourTechReport.com. Mitchell, you know, a lot of things cross our desks day to day. Sometimes it's a new piece of technology like a phone or a watch, lots of cool things. It's not often, though, that something crosses our paths that really stands out almost on a a personal level and creates a personal connection.
2: Oh, well, thats I think that's one of the cool things about being able to do a show like this. We talk about technology, but in some cases, like in this case we're going to talk about right now, there is something personal that we have a vested interest in, but we're not the only ones. This is something that I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to.
3: Well, you see, and a friend of mine sent me this article a couple months back, which not only did that, but it, it got me on the phone right away, and the email right away, and try to get the creators on our show to share the story with our listeners. So the headline of this press release re- really tells a story. Ubisoft and Amblyotech create digital. Rush, the first therapeutic video game based on a patented method for the treatment of amblyopia, otherwise known as lazy eye. So Mitchell, my son suffers from amblyopia, my wife, I had a minor case when I was young, so it's no surprise that when I see something like this, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention and I feel a little bit of a personal connection. So on the the line with us today are the creators of this truly revolutionary game, Joseph Koziak CEO of Ambliotech and Mathieu Ferlin, senior producer at Ubisoft in Montreal, a company that we know has a long story and a long list of achievements in the video game world. Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you. Thank you. you Hey, hey, guys, the first question I have is kind of a basic one. When we think about the great, some of the great innovation and the great inventions that have come along over time, they've been happy accidents. Was your guys' discovery of how this game affected this uh, this disease, was it something accidental or something that you guys actually set out to do?
5: Well, to be fair, we have to give a lot of credit to uh, McGill University and uh, Dr. Hess, who is the original uh, inventor of the technology uh, and basically, he was looking at a a treatment that has been used for amblyopia that is over 200 years old, which is patching. Uh, patching has limited success. Uh, uh, compliance is a, a difficult issue as children don't want to have a patch over their eye. There's a social stigma. It's difficult to operate. And quite frankly, the results aren't there, and generally, any uh, child that had results generally re- relapsed shortly thereafter. Uh, what, was the, what was the kind of the aha moment with, uh, with Big Rush and this therapy was the ability to use both eyes as the treatment method. Uh, up to now, it's just been looking at a monocular approach, trying to patch the poor eye. But this is the, the first uh, uh, treatment that uses both eyes to basically retrain the brain to accept the images coming from both a a, a dominant and then a uh, inferior
3: eye. Can you talk about how the how the technology and the game itself actually treats the lazy eye?
5: Well, what we do is, is this: is that there's a varying. Well, Matt can get involved in this one in this well, but basically, what, what Big Rush is is a. A left eye, right eye game. It, it, it pre- presents a different image to the left eye and the right eye. And by using different contrast levels over a period of time, we we, we get both eyes to work binocularly together. And uh, so, the the game aspect is really a way to focus the the patient on these various contrast levels. Uh, and to make it more entertaining and engaging at the same time.
6: What we've been doing, we've been uh, developing a game uh, which is uh, essentially uh, black and white with tones of gray, except uh, for all interactive ingredients. So, uh, and and uh, we want to use those ingredients that are you know, either red or blue. And uh, we've been designing the game in such a way that we need uh, some ingredients are um, targeted to the red, and some to the blue as an example let 's say that the main character is targeted to the to the left eye, and the enemies are targeted to the um, to the blue eye so as a user as a gamer, uh, since you want to achieve the game, the only way for you to play uh, is to force your two eyes to to synchronize and to work together, otherwise it 's just impossible to
3: achieve uh, your your mission to achieve your um your uh, your game. This this really is a breakthrough, guys, because not only are you obviously treating this in a very unique way, but you're also inadvertently pushing uh, the video game industry and Ubisoft to to learn new things and develop the technology and everything that comes behind the scenes to to realize what kind of progression you're making like all the things you described in terms of how the gameplay itself affects the condition is absolutely amazing how how challenging was that to to really grasp and understand and and program gameplay that is still engaging at the end of the day um to your audience,
6: we've been. Uh, well, our designers were very, very excited about the principle of um, of engagement. So, all the learnings we've done in the past few years uh, for uh, games, uh, what we call free-to-play games, where our goal is to attract as many players as possible, keep them engaged, and then try to monetize them, or you know, to get to make the the the, 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 the project profitable. Sometimes, you know, uh, yeah. what we've been doing here is to translate those mechanics and those principle in a way that it, it is patient oriented so the goal here is not to to raise uh, money but it, it's to get more time uh, and attention and engagement from them to play more, because the more uh, you play, uh, you know, uh, the more uh, the, 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 the solution and the treatment may work.
5: What is actually very interesting about our collaboration is the fact that we are in a, we're the, creating in its infancy a new industry, a combination of, you know, software, gaming, as well as life sciences. Yeah. And this this new industry is is going to be you know we're not we're, we're perhaps at the forefront of it but there are going to be people who follow us who will use a tablet as uh, or an iPad as a means of providing other types of therapies so really what we're going to be looking at and we discussed this quite a bit is that the iPad is going to be the syringe of the future it's going to be able to be a, a, a a device to provide therapies uh, for various either disorders or illnesses. Uh, uh, The treatment of amblyopia is just the first one.
2: You know it's funny you as as I was getting ready to ask my next quest, my next question guys you started answering it and I and I think what people don't realize is we're so used to how popular gaming has become over the last not the last decade in particular the recreational the social aspects of gaming as a form of entertainment we forget what a powerful platform it really is and What you guys are doing with this condition is fantastic and amazing, and it really does make you wonder, do you guys see yourselves coming together again to address other disorders in the near future, or are you just going to stick with this for right now?
5: we're definitely focused on taking this to the market because there's nine million people in the United States who suffer from amblyopia that want to get a, a, a result that that they can't get right now. Right. So we're we're, we're focused to get this uh, uh, to them as quickly as possible. But we are we have in our labs we have in our research other uh, uh, indications that we want to take forward uh, because of the fact that. This particular game, Dig Rush, will be the first uh, therapeutic uh, uh, treatment for use of an iPad. Most iPad apps, for the lack of a better term, uh, really relate around monitoring, you know, blood pressure, uh, heart rate, things like that. They're more, they're more diagnostic. Yeah. This is the first treatment which we're actually going to seek the FDA approval. And have a label on uh, this treatment as a as a treatment, and so this is unique in and of itself. Uh, going forward, we are looking at other indications, other areas that that can uh, can benefit from using this uh, this medium.
3: Can you talk to me about the 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 number of what are the success you're having from from Dig Rush specifically?
5: Well, this form of treatment uh, is basically. What we're finding is that not over 90 percent of the people who use this treatment regain binocular function, wow. which is, which is in and of itself uh, astronomical.
2: It's amazing. Because
5: what it means is that p- these patients who have traditionally only seen out of one eye are now looking at life with two eyes, and. Uh, before, they never had any type of 3D acuity, any depth perception. Uh, you know, it was just difficult to, to uh, do day-to-day activities. Uh, learning is difficult for children. Uh, hand-eye coordination is almost impossible. So uh, people with amblyopia um, have a difficulty doing athletics or uh, any type of physical sports. Uh, and we can change all that. And like I said, 3% of the population is affected by, by this uh, disorder. Roughly 9 million people in the United States. And uh, what's also very exciting about this is that this is the only treatment that has had clinical success in adults as well as children. I was
3: just going to ask that because uh, one of you talked about sports and, and and various things that are affected. My wife can't park her car in parking spots because she she has no depth perception. So I was going to ask, you know, what success you've had on on the adult population as well.
5: We've had equally good success wow. in the adult population as in the pediatric population. Which, if you are an ophthalmologist or an optometrist, you would be very excited about because currently, you really don't have a treatment option for any individual over 16 years of age.
3: Wow. Can you tell me what the next? What are the next steps? Obviously, you're, you're seeking FDA approval. Once that happens, people are obviously sitting there wondering, wow, how do, I, how do I get this? This is not something off the shelf. This is something that you will need to consult, consult for, uh, for a prescription, almost.
5: Any treatment, whether it's a, it's a pharmaceutical or, or anything else, requires a village to, to make sure that it's successful. And we have to have a cooperation between the regulatory bodies as well as the physician base. So this is not a device or a game that you download off the iTunes yeah. for. <laughs> uh, this is going to be administered uh, and prescribed by physicians on dedicated uh, iPads uh, so that the, uh, the physician basically sets the iPad up for that patient because the, the game is uh, aligned specifically for that patient. Uh, so there's an alignment uh, diagnostics that, that occurred before the administration of the game. The, uh, the patient then takes the, the, uh, the tablet home with them uh, and plays dig rush for an hour a day over a six week period. Uh, and then there's an interim visit to, just to ensure compliance and then a, a follow up at the end to uh to uh, uh basically do the final, final diagnostics with the physician the uh, The physician then basically resets the, the the brush, and then the iPad is ready for the next patient to use.
2: What, what you guys are doing in collaboration, obviously, with what the studies at McGill University is absolutely incredible. And I have to tell you, there are going to be millions of adults and children that are going to be helped by this. And also, millions of adults and children that are going to be incredibly happy when they find out that their prescription for helping with their condition is to we prescribe you playing a video game. How much fun is that? <laughs> yeah, I mean,
6: you, as, a game, as a game producer, producer it's, very, uh, it's very special. To know that you know uh, one of your creation uh, has uh, the potential to to to, um, to help uh, millions of people yeah. worldwide, I think it's very very exciting for me uh, as, a, as, as a as a producer, and uh, it's also interesting to 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 know that um, this uh, video game. Uh, concept may have uh, such a positive impact on on, on our society as a, you know in
3: general. Guys, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. This is uh, not only is literally eye opening, but uh, we're definitely going to follow Dick Russian, and we are excited to be able to uh, get hands on time for my kids, my wife. I am going gonna, gonna to push this as much as you guys want to get it out there. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. When we come back, hands-on time with the Apple Watch.
4: Your Tech Report will be right back. This is your Tech Report.
3: Yes, it is. Mark Flatlow Mitchell Whitfield with you on your Tech Report. Mitchell, we've only got a couple of minutes to talk about this one, but I really wanted to address the Apple Watch because, Mitchell, I got mine on Monday.
2: Wow, that is so beneath you and so hurtful. So, yes, I can't share my thoughts because mine has not arrived. So, Mark, uh, tell me you've now been wearing this for, what, about a week? A week. You've had yours for about a week? I've had mine so, for about a week. So, experiences, uh, is it what you thought? Day to day, first of all, how's battery life? That's ba- the Battery question.
3: life actually blew my mind because there was actually one day that I, I forgot my charger in another room. I didn't want to go down and get it, and I didn't charge it overnight, and I, I wore it through the next day. So, we're talking about over a 24 hour period, and I still had 25% battery left on the second day. And these two days, Mitchell, was pretty heavy use. It didn't affect my iPhone battery that I could tell, but the battery itself on the watch, and this is the 42 millimeter sport version was pretty impressive
2: yeah that that that, that impressed me when you told me about that off the air but also in terms of people wondering okay it's really cool it's a nice watch you can use apps but what do you find yourself mostly using it for on a day-to-day basis as an actual user
3: um I find that there's two things that I use it for. Number 1 is uh customizing my watch face so that I can see the time in Los Angeles
2: So for and telling time. It's for a telling, watch, for telling know, yeah. time
3: for seeing things at a glance like the weather situation outside and the diff- time in different time zones and also the notifications on my messages and on my email. It's great to be able to look down and say, "Okay, uh, I don't have to touch this email now. Oh, I don't have to touch this text, te- don't have to touch this text message right now or I can actually act on those right away if I want to."
2: When most importantly a phone call's coming and you don't have to dig into your pocket to say, "Oh, I'm not picking up that call today. I don't need to talk to this person until later." It's less intrusive, right?
3: Well, and that was the first one that really scared me because when I set up the watch for the first time, I got a phone call. I'm like, "Oh, it's a phone call ringing my my phone was in my pocket, my watch was going. I saw, oh, I saw who it was and it was you at the time and I picked up the phone and you said it sounded pretty good, didn't you?
2: That, that, that's what I was going to say. Everyone thinks it's a little bit of a gimmick to actually have the microphone on the speaker to use it like a Dick Tracy watch, but it's cool, I was blown away. It sounded, <laughs> yeah. and I said to you, you called me from the car, you know, using hands for using your watch, not the built-in Bluetooth in your car, and I said it sounded better than the Bluetooth... In your car, and you had your hands on the wheel. It isn't like you had your hand up to your face, right?
3: No, and I, you know at that point, I think I was parked, and I was able to hear you really, really well. But I have used it since in other applications, and I find that the speaker itself is not that great when you're trying to listen. To it. You just can't pump it up loud enough to really be able to hear that call and have a conversation, especially in noisy environments.
2: Gotcha. Okay, as far as the interface goes, I know we don't have a lot of time, but people were worried about okay, it's a small screen. Yes, you have the digital crown, but navigating the features, navigate. Are you still finding yourself, you know, hunting and pecking to sort of find what you need, or is it easy to navigate using the screen and digital crown? You have
3: to play with it for a while to really get the hang of things, but you do find yourself. Picking it up very quickly like any other Apple device, it's really easy to use. You have the crown, you have the friends button. You you kind of sometimes stumble to go back to where you were before because there's no real back button. But I found the learning curve to be very, very, very small and very, very short. And I'm really enjoying it. And I'm not finding it as much of a distraction as I expected to.
2: Well, I know we have to wrap this up. One thing we have heard, that people are complaining the digital crown is sticking, whether it's because of people sweating, whatever it is. And they're actually saying in the documentation that Apple gives on their support site, rinsing it in water will actually help. So, so much for it not being waterproof. It seems pretty waterproof to me.
3: Yeah, it's, it's pretty waterproof. So, we'll, we'll see how that one fares out. We'll be back with more Your Tech Report.
4: Your Tech Report will be right back. Welcome back to Your Tech Report. It is Your Tech
3: Report, Marka Aflalo and Mitchell Whitfield with you at Your Tech Report on Twitter, on Facebook.com slash Your Tech Report, and of course, the website Mitchell, YourTechReport.com.
2: Now, now, am I mistaken, or off air, when we were talking off air, did you actually accuse me of having a drone fetish? I did. I just want to make sure that we're, okay, I, um, I can own that. I, I can wear that badge.
3: I said drone envy. You corrected it to fetish.
2: Well, drone envy implies that, you know, I can't get my hands on the drones, and I envy others who can. And that's not the case. We're very lucky, as a matter of fact. We get to, we get a lot of drones. We get a lot of hands-on time with drones. And because of that, we have a lot of listeners that are big quad and drone fans, pilots, people that are looking to get into the sport and or hobby. And we get a lot of questions. And always people are always asking, what's the latest and greatest? What's the best value? Uh, and there's a company out there. The company is called Unique. I love the way they spell it. Y-U-N-E-E-C. Unique. And if you haven't heard of Unique... Uh, this is a name you better get familiar with because, if and when people do ask me, Mark, what is currently the best value out there if you're looking to get a consumer slash prosumer drone for taking aerial video and, you know, pictures, the best value, it's not even close, it's not DJI, it's not over 3DR, the best value right now is from the folks at Unique, and it's the Q500 plus typhoon and who better to talk about the typhoon with us the q500 plus than uniques of unique usa coo sean phillips joining us right now sean thank you so much for coming on the show
0: so happy to be here and love your show and uh i'm so excited to have a chance to tell everyone what is uh, unique about unique
2: I, I, see, I love it. it. has a built-in wordplay. I love that. Now, we have a lot of listeners that may not be familiar with the company. So before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about the company and what you guys wanted to do, what goals you had when you were coming into the drone market?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, we've been around since 1999, and we've been a manufacturer for others uh, in the space, especially the hobby space, for many years. So we have a lot of experience in building drones, in RC airplanes. We also have actually scaled up, and we produced one of the world's first manned electric aircraft called the E-430. Uh, So, we certainly are familiar with the the aviation space and the drone area. And as of January this year, we launched our Typhoon Q500+. And our objective is to create a product that is so easy to fly and ready to fly out of the box that we can move to a place where anyone, and by the way, my favorite flying buddy is my six-year-old son, Zeke, so really anyone (laughs) can use the product.
3: Well, you you, t- awesome. you you touch on something personal because my son is five and and I've gotten to play with some of these really really small drones that actually in my opinion are actually harder to fly. So you give me some hope that I can let my son play with this and not crash it and destroy it because they they seem so fragile in my mind. But but you've made it you've made it quite different, haven't you?
0: Yeah, we have. And you know, so the idea is to have a very a stable platform, and if you fly it, you'll realize even in strong gusts of wind, uh, it's stable. It's got a lot of safety features built in, like the home button, so it comes on. Another area we very much focus on is the idea that uh, you don't need to attach some external iPad or Android device to it. Uh, The ground control station comes with a built-in 5.5-inch touch screen that allows you to write there get all of your avionics data, as well as have a first-person view of what your drone is seeing while it flies.
2: See, the, Sean, this is one of the first things that really drew me uh, to the company, and to the Q500 Plus in particular, and, you know, you talk about the value, first of all, the idea that you have in the, you know, in your remote, you have the ground station built in, you have this beautiful 5.5-inch now on the Plus model, Android-based right. screen, like you said, it gives you full telemetry, gives you the full view from the camera that's, you know, that's sit right there on its motorized gimbal, and When I started, before we started, I said, we're talking about just the sheer value of this quad. It's big, it's stable, it flies beautifully, but you guys, it's almost as if you looked at the wish list of every quad pilot out there that has ever flown any quad, and you went point by point and made sure that was included in this package. I mean, you have the screen built in, you have the extra battery, a sunshade, you guys did everything here.
0: Well, thank you. I I, I don't want to say we did everything because there's always room for improvement, but we have introduce something that I think is where the the users want to be, and I think it's always a delicate balance because we want to make it something that even, like you talked about, a prosumer can use and feel like it's the right... Uh, tool for them to do their job. But at the same time, for the weekend warrior that just wants to do some flying, maybe film his family at the beach, uh, it should work perfectly and easily right out of the box.
3: Sean, when, when designing the 500+, plus, how do you prioritize the features that people are asking for? What do you say, you know, this won't make the cut or this will make the cut? What is that tipping point for you guys?
0: Well, Generally, the, the key is that we have built up a strong uh, customer support team right here in Southern California. And our customer support team are all people who love to fly themselves. In fact, it's led by uh, a guy named Ryan, who, if you go on YouTube and look at The Ryan, he stars in all of our uh, product introduction videos. Uh, and we let them basically tell us what the consumers want. And then obviously uh we we go back and figure out whether we can make it at the kind of price points we're looking for uh but you know uh, an example of a recent feature that we've just introduced is what we call watch me and that is a feature it's a firmware upgrade so anybody who has a Q500 can add it and that allows you to tell the drone's camera to always be looking at the ground controller. Oh, that's so cool. you can effectively, whether you move around, uh, it'll always focus on you. And in, in, in the not-too-distant future, we'll actually come out with a uh, dongle-like product that effectively is smaller in form factor, and whether that's placed on you know, your buddy while they're mountain biking or on yourself <laughs> while you're windsurfing, the camera will then follow you um, while you're doing whatever activity. So that's an example of something we've seen a strong desire for in the market and we've uh, introduced.
2: Well, you touched on something a little earlier, Sean, when, you were, when we were just talking before, and that is on support. And I think for some companies in the market, not with Unique, but for other companies in the market, the support side has been their Achilles heel. You can put out a great product, but when people are spending upwards of $1,000 and more, spend, you know, depending on what they're getting, they want to know that their investment is going to be safe and supported. You guys, right out of the second that I opened up the, and by the way, it comes, for people that don't know this, it's the only drone I've ever flown, I even tweeted this the other day, that comes. Comes with a built it's a it comes in a travel case it comes in a hard shell metal travel case it's beautiful and the second you open this travel case it gives you information here are the numbers you call for support here's what you shouldn't shouldn't do here's what you should where you shouldn't shouldn't fly you you guys are really really into communicating with your audience and it seems like people can feel safe about their investment when they buy with you guys
0: yeah well that's certainly the objective and uh you know i i i think that Providing perfect customer care is always difficult, and we certainly are not perfect. But we work every day uh, on how we can provide great care, uh, and we are doing it locally here in the U.S. We are uh, making sure that we are responsive, and I think you know the, the the crucial thing will be to continue to have a rich engagement with our customers because. As you point out, they're they're spending more than a thousand dollars on this. They want it to work. Uh, it's a new product category, so everybody's trying to figure out what the constraints of it are and how it works best. Uh, we have built in a lot of features to make it easy, as I said. And you know, one thing I do want to point out, I think that this is is important, is we're also looking. Uh, for an easy upgrade path for our uh, customers. So we've built in modularity. And what I mean by that is uh, the camera gimbal system on our flying platform can be removed and put onto a steady grip, which uh, we also provide and become a ground-filming device, effectively a very stable hand hand cam. At the same time, you can also, uh, when we soon come out with our 4K camera, which will be out next month, Uh, you don't necessarily need to buy a full new drone, you can simply buy the 4K camera and attach it to your existing drone. So that level of modularity and allowing a upgrade path that is relatively painless, I think is another area we're focused on as we try to provide a comprehensive customer experience.
3: Sean, you talk about this being a new category and a lot of the conversation about quads and drones over the past couple months has been about the regulatory issues and and the safety about this hobby. I'm curious about your hurdles and or opinions about what different governments are trying to do to regulate the industry. Is it something that you're embracing? Is it something that
0: you're, you know, hesitant on? No, well, at the, at the highest level, uh, we want to make sure that this category and we are, you know, a key participant is perceived as being uh, a category that is both safe and also is not impinging on people's privacy. So, I think safety and privacy are, are key. Uh, I do think that the governments and various governments are regulating uh, as they, as in, in some ways, they're, they're a little bit behind the eight ball because it's hard to keep up with the regulation because the technology is moving so fast. Uh, we are doing many things to try to make it safe. For example, you know on our, on our ground control station, there's something called turtle and rabbit mode. So if you're early, just starting out to fly, you can put it in turtle mode. We have something called smart mode that sets up geofences. We've programmed so it won't go more than 400 feet above ground level which is the FAA requirement in terms of not uh, getting into airspace uh, we have a it's set so uh, it does not work within a mile radius of airports commercial airports because we don't want to be in the way of aircraft so we've done a number of things uh, to try to be ahead of regulation to some extent but you know I, in terms of commenting on the the regulation across countries, I think it's too complex at, uh, at this point to comment on, except for we want to be a good citizen of every country we do business in, and that means meeting whatever requirements around safety and privacy that those governments see fit to put in place
2: you know Sean, I, I, I listened to you talk about this i was I was blown away, you kind of had me at hello. I was blown away by the product, having flown it. It's everything that you say. It flies beautifully. It's stable. It's a beautiful platform. You guys are very much aware of your consumers and regulations and making this a safe and fun hobby. Uh, The price point to me, we're talking $1299, but you're getting this big, beautiful quad. You are getting the the ground control that has the built-in 5.5-inch display. I, I, I received two batteries with mine, a rechargeable battery in the radio, two full sets of props. The list goes on and on. It's the unique Q5. 500 plus typhoon and sean i i can only say you know you're probably going to be hearing from us to maybe get that 4k camera when it comes out and listen if it happens to be attached to that new uh black version of the unique we wouldn't <laughs> complain but we'd be happy just trying the 4k camera when it
0: comes out well thanks and i i, I, I do appreciate all that And one one thing uh it's actually it's 1249 so it's Ooh. even a better value than you highlighted uh and so really happy to have this chance to talk to you guys and, you know, looking forward to working all together to make this industry an exciting place for all of us.
2: You know, Mark, at the risk of sounding repetitive, and I, I don't really care, I, I have to do this again, I can't really say enough what kind of value you're getting, even though you're spending twelve forty nine. It's not about the price, it's about what you're getting back for that money. And, you know, you've seen these high-end quads. You've flown them, you've flown mine, you've flown yours, right? So, in the, I've always said when I get one of these quads in my hand, it's like, oh, okay, I have to go. If I'm going to travel with one of these things, I have to go get a case. Now, a case, is, you know, this comes, the unique, comes with an aluminum travel case, okay? Aluminum. If you have to go get a case on your own, it's anywhere from two to $300, all right? Yep. A second battery for one of these quads is a minimum $100, usually between $100 and $150 for a 20 to 25-minute flight time LiPo yeah. battery. Okay, Uh, an extra screen that we'd use, whether it's your cell phone, whether it's your tablet, or you have to go out and buy another screen, that's another two or three hundred dollars. A neck strap for this transmitter, two full sets of props, a sunscreen, a, a rechargeable. I mean, Mark. It's ridiculous.
3: Listen, as Sean said, you know they're focusing on customer service, and you can tell that support is there. You can tell they went to a community. They said, "Okay, what do you guys want with it?" And they really did deliver it. And at that price point, Mitchell, you're getting you're getting, you know, oh, well over probably five hundred dollars worth of bonuses that that's that you'd have to go out and buy afterwards. So twelve forty nine. Yes, I know it's you know it, it's a high price for something, but it's not for what you get. The value is and it, absolutely there.
2: And the pro action steady grip—I mean, that lets yeah. you do these steady cam shots handheld. That uses the motorized gimbal. It's just beautiful. Listen, Mark, none of this would matter if the Q five hundred plus Typhoon didn't fly great. Let's let's put that—that's yeah. the bottom line. But it does fly great. Yeah, it it's does. stable. The video is gorgeous. So, uh, yeah, you're not familiar with Unique before today's interview. You will be familiar with Unique now. Go check out the Q five hundred plus Typhoon.
3: Thank you very much, to Sean, from Unique. I want to thank the guys from Ubisoft and uh, Amblyotech. Uh, action Pack show, of course, thanks to Kevin Unanks from Microsoft talking about gaming off the top of the show. What an awesome show, Mitchell. I can't wait for everybody to be listening to this one and, of course, the interviews that we'll post later on in the week, which you can find on yourtechreport.com. Thank you, Mitchell Whitfield, for being here, I'm as spent. always. You are spent. I'm spent. <laughs> on behalf of yourself, Mitchell, uh, I am Marka Aflalo. Thank you for joining us again on Twitter. It is at report? You know what? The...